Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, Jesus speaking, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands Forever. So if you've um, been here last week, this, uh, this chapter 15 really consists of just three parables. We went over the first two last week, and we are now this week in the, the third of these parables. Last week was the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, the sheep wanders off, and the, the owner leaves the 99 to go rescue the one. And then we had the parable of the lost coin. And a lady had ten coins, 
And then she loses a coin and, and is so uh, earnest to get it back. She lights a lamp and sweeps the whole house, cleans the whole house, looking for this one coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And what we emphasize in both of those parables is the joy of the owner of the sheep or the coin when that which was lost is found. The whole point, as Jesus says, is the joy that that there is a right joy over that which is lost being found. And he compares it to the same joy that God feels over a sinner who repents. If you stuff your Bible out, you can flip back and you can look earlier in chapter 15. He says, just so I tell you, this is about the sheep parable. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And at the end of the parable with the lost coin, it says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the third of this trio of parables, but they all communicate that one main idea. And it is the reality of the joy God feels over the redemption of every single individual sinner. The joy that the Father has. So we, we must remember the context that this comes in, right? This is all, these are all one, three um, parables linked together. And they're all answering this one question. Way back at the beginning of chapter 15, verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes grumble at Jesus and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There we see this objections that the Pharisees had that provoke all these parables, that Jesus eats and has meals and receives sinners to himself. Now, remember last week we talked about that objection makes a lot of sense. That's good thinking. They're objecting that Jesus, who is supposed to be a holy man, would have fellowship with those who are unholy. Someone who is desiring to be holy and clean really ought not to associate themselves with those who are not holy and those who are unclean. And we use, I use the illustration, I can share it again. Yesterday on my mail route, uh, I forgot my raincoat. And so all afternoon from about 12.30 until 3, I got dumped buckets of rain on me. And then I was sloshing through the mud. Well, I was sufficiently dirty and wet and gross when I got done with the mail route. Uh, when I went home, I did not take my clothes, fold them up, put them back in the dresser and hang the coat up to wear on Monday. Did I? I hope not. Thank you. Exactly. No, because if I did that, then I'm taking that which is spoiled and putting it next to that which is clean. And what have I done? I've ruined all my clean clothes. Now we have to double the laundry. That, that's ridiculous, right? That's the, that's the Pharisee's objection here. Jesus, if he knew these people were unholy, he would not hang around them. I, this is, this is, the, the, the complaint the Pharisees have that provoke these parables. Their complaint is that you should not take what is holy and put it with the profane things. It's an absolutely right objection. Makes sense. But Jesus pushes back on this complaint with these parables that expresses the joy of the Father 
in taking that which is unholy and profane and lost and dirty and that which would defile everything else and redeeming it and making them his own, finding that which is lost. The joy of the Father is not in those who have kept themselves clean, but those who have ended up dirty and he makes them clean. And it's his joy to do this. Those who have found themselves lost, those who have found themselves dirty, those who have found themselves buried in sin, his joy is to redeem them even more so than his joy is over the 99 people who don't need any redemption. And the reason why he has no joy over these 99 people who need no redemption is because they are figments of an imagination. They do not exist. God has no joy in imaginary people. He has, we are all in the category of sinners. And God's joy is in bringing those sinners back to himself. His joy in saving the sinner is far greater than the joy in the righteous person, quote-unquote righteous person, because the righteous person only exists in their own eyes. They don't really exist. They may think they have their own righteousness, but the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful and have fooled themselves into thinking they are righteous when they know, we know from Scripture, we are all plagued with sin since the fall. So this is an important point because it's an emphasis that comes out again in this last parable. You probably have heard this story before. It's very popular. It's not the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning uh, reckless spending. It's a it's an outrageous behavior, this prodigal son. And so we're going to just Quickly, the points of this through the narrative, the, the beginning of the parable, verses 12, uh, 11 through 24, are all about this younger son. And that's, that's what's most remembered, right? Is the, the part of the story of the younger son who goes to his father and says, Dad, I'd like my share of the inheritance now, uh, if you don't mind. And he doesn't say you don't mind. He just says, I want it. Give me my half of my inheritance now. And he takes it. The father, for whatever reason, complies, gives the son his inheritance. A few, t- a few days later, that son takes off, squanders all of this that his father has given him on reckless living, on prostitutes, we learn out later, just on riotous, sinful living. And eventually, uh, famine hits the land. The son loses all of his money. He's got nothing to do. So what does he do? He hires himself out to a local farmer who sends him to feed his pigs. That's an important part of the story because the pigs were this unclean animal to this Jewish audience. Nothing worse than feeding pigs. We think the other white meat, okay, uh, you know, the pigs are fine for us. But in this context, pigs are, are an unclean animal. This, this son who was the, this inheritor of this, uh, a third of, of this, uh, his father's wealth takes that, squanders it and goes so low that he's longing to eat pig food. That's, he just take pig food. And so at some point in the bottom of this barrel, it's always the youngest brother too, isn't it? You ever notice that? They're about the worst <laughs> young brothers. Uh, he's, he's, and when he's at his lowest, he comes to his senses. My father has employees who get along far better than I do. 
this is, uh, what am I doing? And he comes to his senses. He says, I'll go to my father. I'll say, I have sinned. Important language. We've lost language like this in our world today. Sin, not just against other people. I've sinned against heaven. I mean, I've sinned against God. He has sinned against God and against his father, both things. And he's come to repent, just wants to be hired on as a worker. What... What would you think the father, I know we know the story and we read it just this morning, but what's the father's reaction going to be? You realize that when the son says, I want my inheritance now, he's communicating something very terrible to his father. When do you get an inheritance? When the person has died, they've passed on and then you inherit what they've left over. So for this son to say to his father, I want my inheritance now, he's basically saying, it's taking you too long to get out of here. And if I could rush it along, I'd just like my money and then be on with it. He's, he's basically wishing his father dead. He, he's in total rebellion against his father. No love for his father, no care for him. He wants to do his own thing. You know, I wish you would kick the bucket a little quicker, but you're taking too long. Uh, since you're hanging around, can I just have my inheritance and go off? What would the father respond with when this son shows back up? I can think of a few things that I would say to that child. I mean, it doesn't common sense like, oh, you, now you want my, now you want some help. You know, I got a, I got a job for you. All right. You know, that's what we would expect. But Jesus is, that is not the way Jesus takes this parable, right? The father gives into this money. The son is brought totally low. So he comes back with this speech. He's reciting it the whole way back. I've sinned against heaven. I sinned against you. I don't belong here, but can I just be hired on as a servant? And the father is watching. The father is watching. And he sees the son a long ways off. And he runs after him, not to chastise him, not to beat him up, not to kick him further. But you you forgot this isn't your land. Get out of here. None of that. He does it to put the best robe on him, to put the ring on him, to hug him, to kiss his neck, to call his servants, to kill the fattened calf, to throw a party. That which was lost is now returned, has been found. The father exhibits unrestrained joy at the return of his son. This is the heartbeat of the parable. I mean, this is what, that's, that's the same heartbeat from all three of the parables. Is, yes, God's redeeming of sinners, which is wonderful news for us. It's good for the son. Like, the story makes sense. If he, the father goes out and he says, all right, get the robe, get the ring. The kid came back, fine, came to his senses. All right, you're in. You can anticipate the son being, yeah, all right, I'm back. You can anticipate the son's joy. What's shocking is the father's joy, okay? The father's joy in the redeeming of sinners. This is the rejoicing that we get there. But it's how shocking this is. You get it with the sheep, okay? So Jesus is bringing up the father's joy and rescuing the lost and, 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 and claiming back that which he did not have and rejoicing in having what was lost and now it is found. You get it with the sheep. Sheep are silly. Sheep wander off. 
you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're goofy sheep. They got lost somewhere, fell down in a creek. Okay, I get it with the sheep. He's glad to have it back. The coin, you know, the coin fell out of the bottom of her purse or something, rolled into a corner. So, of course, she's glad. These are all harmless accidents. Sheep disappearing, coins disappearing. This son didn't just disappear. This son rebelled. This son said, I want no part of you, Father. I want to go my own way. This son didn't trip and fall into sin and debauchery. He charged ahead full speed into his rebellion. And it's fine to hear of God saving the lost and rejoicing, but saving the rebellious? Isn't that ridiculous? Who is this God that doesn't just rejoice when he finds the things he's lost, but he rejoices in saving and showering grace upon those who have, with full intention, marched away from him. That is a gracious and amazing God. And that's Jesus making his point. He wants the hearers, which is all of us, to be blown away. How can this God be this gracious? And that's our point. Our big idea from this morning is that Every one of God's children are His by grace. Every one of God's children are His by grace. The reason why this should overflow the saved sinner's heart with joy is the full realization that, yes, you are this younger son. You are this one who has marched away from God. Now, I know we're all sitting in church on Sunday morning, so we say, Darren, now, I've done some bad things, but I've never rebelled. I mean, I've never marched away from God. Every time you make a decision based upon your own motive and what you want to do and contrast and contradicting what God would have you to do, you are usurping, you are trying to overthrow the king of the universe By putting yourself there. That is rebellion. All sin is rebellion. When God says treasure this. When God says love your neighbor as yourself. And you think I don't want to love my neighbor. I would rather benefit myself than them. What you are saying is rebellion against God. You are saying God your way is not right. My way is. And it is rebellion. Isaiah 53, 6 is the suffering servant song, but Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one, everyone, has turned to his own way. All we, like sheep, this is Isaiah 53, 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Does that sound like the younger son? Everyone turning to their own way. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, being Christ, the iniquity of us all. Who has gone astray? All. And what has God done in response? He has made a way of forgiveness. Christ came, the better older brother than we have in this picture. The better older brother comes and pays the price, takes the penalty upon himself for the forgiveness of the sins of the rebellious younger brother. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we can't see ourselves as the younger brother who has rebelled from God, then you miss the joy of the Father and His redeeming of you. Christ has come, lived the righteous life the younger brother should have lived, that we all should have lived, but takes the punishment the younger brother deserves. 
so that through repentance, which is seen in the younger brother, right? Through repentance and faith in Christ, he would be forgiven of his sins and brought back in to God's family. But again, the most shocking part is the overwhelming joy that flows from the father. It's cost him so much to do this. A third of his inheritance gone. It has cost him so much, yet he rejoices and throws a party for it. That you would return from your sin. That you would confess yourself a rebellious sinner, admitting in your heart the ways you have turned from God, confessing those things, repenting, and turning to Him, that, to, that God would be glad to forgive you and make you His own through the blood of Jesus Christ, should well up joy in your heart like nothing else. Are you here this morning and doubt that God... Doubt this love, this joy of God to save you. Right now, through this sermon, God is trying to communicate to you His joy that you would be made His. That you, a sinner who has rebelled in myriads and multiples of different ways, you want to talk to me about it later, we can set that up, and all the ways we've turned from God, that He would be glad to send His Son to take your penalty upon himself, that by faith in his righteous life, confessing your sins, he would make you his own. And he's glad to do it. If you doubt it, he, this, is, this is the Holy Spirit moving in this place this morning to awaken you to that reality and the joy that is found there that God would make you his own. However, it's not the end of the parable either. Father has two sons, and in the remaining few minutes we have, this older son is mad because he thinks the undeserving son is getting what he's deserved all along. What is Jesus' point in this parable? It isn't that, is it that the, the lost son isn't the younger one who ran away. The lost son is the one who hung around and put on the face and never really knew that he was there because of God's grace. That's the lost son. The one who puts on the show. The one who keeps the rules. The one who hangs around, but never really gets that it's all of God's grace. The lost son is the one who hung around and sought to do what is right and believed himself to be deserving of the father's love in a way that this other brother wasn't. This older brother He's one of the 99 who doesn't need repentance. And there's no joy in the Father over those who think themselves righteous. Where does the older brother find himself at the end of the parable? Outside of the Father's house. Startling. What does this say to us? It's a shocking reminder. There is no one in God's favor who is there, who isn't there because of the grace of God. Every one of God's children are His by His grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace and grace alone. One of the great dangers that Jesus seems to be highlighting here is the danger of believing your own hype, of believing your own, your own arrival. Look at me. I've, I've done something. God, aren't you happy with me? Look at all these things I've done. I've kept your sheep. I've tended the house. God, aren't you impressed? The danger is this older brother believing his own hype 
Instead of realizing, younger brother, come on in. Because you know what? We're all here by the grace of God. We're all here by the Father's good graciousness. And forgetting, the older brother, and forgetting his entire existence is because of a gracious gift from his father. He's kind of presumed upon the gift that he's been given, that he's deserved it. Does the second son have all the father has? Yes, the father says, you have it all. You have all of my grace poured out upon you. Yet he ends up truly having none of it because he's caught up in his deserving of it and not living in the joy of the father's grace regardless of his deserving of it. Why should we pay attention here? Are you blown away by the grace of God for us? That he would have you. Whether you're the younger brother who's marched off into the riotous, rebellious living, or whether you're the older brother who's always hung around, always tried to be the good one, always tried to do the nice thing. We're in a nice community. We're nice people. We've got a lot of older brothers who've always stuck around, tried to do the nice, right thing, and thinking that by so doing, you've earned the Father's joy and affection for you. This blows us all out of the water. Every one of God's children are His by His grace. Are you blown away by that grace? That He would make a way to atone for our sins at great cost for Himself and do it out of His own joy? Every child of God's is His because of His grace. What fills the church with gladness? Not the false joys of thinking, patting ourselves on the back. We've done it. We're, we're, we've, we're here and we're all, we're all okay. It's not the false thinking that we are better than everyone else. Look at us. We're here. They're all there. What brings the joy, the church gladness? It is the deep knowing that all of us are at the core of who we are, rebellious sinners whose only hope are being God's children is that He would pour out His grace upon us, that He would send His Son to take our sins upon Himself, that we, through repentance and trusting in Him, might be made His children. That's what brings the church gladness. That's the joy I want planted deep in my heart. I want planted deep in your heart. The deep knowing that we are all the rebellious sinners who have been adopted into God's family by His grace. When we come to communion on a Sunday morning, it should be a meal of joy, remembering this is not something I do. This is me rejoicing in the grace of God that He would make the move to save a sinner like me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would do this work in our hearts, not for the beating up of ourselves as sinners, but for the full realization of joy that we have in knowing ourselves as the ones who have spurned you in so many ways, have turned from your counsel, have thought ourselves wiser than you so many times, have rebelled, and yet you are the God who delights in forgiving sinners like us, not based upon our merits, but based upon the merits of Christ, and his shed blood for our sins. May the joy of that reality fill this place, spill out from this place into our community. God, do that work here among us. In Christ's name, amen.